Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode of What the Health Just Happened. I'm your host, Eric Ross, uh, registered nurse, firefighter, paramedic, back back in the day, self-proclaimed entrepreneur. But uh, what is What the Health Just Happened? We talk about all things healthcare, the good, the bad, the ups, the downs, the ins, the outs. We also have some CEOs, some CFOs, HR employees, entry-level employees, talking about all things healthy, healthy business practices, how to save money, how to spend money effectively. Again, anything healthy or not healthy. Today's guest is no different than any other, only I'm really excited. I would consider him a friend whether he does or not. It's Christopher Margolin. Did I say that right? You did. You can Thank speak you. already, but I refer to you as Topher. You do. And that's okay. It is. What do you refer to me as? Hot sauce. Hot sauce what? Hot sauce Ross. Hot sauce Ross. So we're right off the bat, we're starting very professional, right? All business. We have Topher and hot sauce. And again, a lot of people call me hot sauce. But so so Topher, what, what should you prefer? I like Topher. Topher Can works. we call you Topher the whole time? Absolutely. Topher Please is do. the CEO of Health Designs, a company that I'm really loving more and more. And I have followed for a while. We're going to talk about the acquisition, how and why you took over, what you do, a ton of that. So health designs, very healthcare focused, but, but let's start with this a little background, right? And I, I, of course, looked at your LinkedIn. You went to college at, uh, Pace university. True story. True story, which is in New York. It is. I did not know that. I love this. Is why I love this show. Cause I get to know people too. Right. And then a ton of executive coaching. I want to talk about that. But let's start with you, right? A little background, a little education, executive yeah. coaching, and then health designs, health designs, health designs, because that is, is some what-the-health-just-happened topics, right? Love to. All Sounds right. great. So I grew up in New York and went to Pace University, as you mentioned, and shortly, um, really, that was the beginning of my entrepreneurial pursuits. I started a couple of magazines while I was in college. Uh, a couple did okay, a couple didn't. Moved that operation to Boston. Already. And lived in Boston for about a year and a half where um, I bit off way more than I could chew and tanked that business, um, but learned a lot and had a great time. I moved back to New York, opened another publishing company, which was acquired by yet a different publishing company that I worked with for a couple of years. And fun fact, this next turn in (laughs) my career that you probably haven't heard, I left publishing in New York and went to Florida because I opened a reptile and exotic mammal store in South Beach in the mid-90s. I, I think I have heard that. So Brittany, okay. I think Brittany will come up a few times, right? All I right. almost asked her to come on too. So publishing, I did not know. The reptile one, I, I did hear about. Mm. I think the the first thing I heard is you're an entrepreneur at heart, right? Yeah, for is, sure. I mean, a- anything else that you can't counter that point. You're an entrepreneur. So publishing, which... Do you mind if I ask what year this was? I don't want to age you or anything. But, uh, you can uh, age me. That, w- that would be fine. That, the first one would have started in 1990, 1991, right when the advent of desktop publishing sort of uh, gave entrance for a lot of people like myself access to design and layout that they hadn't had before. Okay. So when you say publishing, you're talking about magazine 
so those first publications were uh, magazines are these paper articles that you turn pages look at pictures and, and writing or in a yes okay yeah okay yeah got it uh, um because m moving pictures on tablets and things like that for communication were, were still pure science fiction at that point in time. <laughs> these, these were printed, I love it. Uh, uh, printed items, and these were college shopper papers that were uh, distributed weekly to several college campuses and had lots of goings-ons and Northeast and U.S. Those were specifically in New York. Yeah. Okay. And then moved to Boston where that encompassed about 18 colleges and about a 12-mile radius. What'd you study? So my degree was in uh, business management with a concentration in entrepreneurship. Okay. I, so already I love this because it's, it's, it's healthcare focused. We'll get there, I promise. But I love, I call myself an entrepreneur, right? I, I love the entrepreneurial spirit, running a business. We'll get to that. So you studied that, right? We're in publishing, opened some your own businesses? Did you acquire another business or are you like, I'm starting this from scratch? Those were all ground up uh, startups. And the last one, the only one that had any real commercial success was an arts and entertainment publication. And they were sort of in the mid 90s in, uh, in New York. Flannel shirts, Kurt Cobain. Yeah, I probably um, – leaned a little more on the alternative new wave scene than the grunge scene. <laughs> okay. So there's a little bit less of that, but right period of time. Okay. Okay. And again, I'm, yeah, I was some, whatever age I was at that point. I was around, but I, I was not you your, were like the fifth your grade consumer. Yeah, yeah. I was not your consumer. Okay. So then moved to Florida to open a reptile. An exotic mammal. Exotic store. mammal store in Jacksonville or what area of Florida? South Beach. South Beach. Oh, we're, world wild spot. reptiles. Perfect. World wild reptiles. Yeah. J Jay, Jay's over here laughing. I love, so Jay, our producer, Jay Bose, he's over here. You can laugh, man. I want to hear that Beavis laugh. He's like, oh, I love it. World wild reptiles. Did you have uh, an affinity for reptiles? Did you just like, I want to do something different. I want to go to Florida. Uh, yes, affinity for reptiles probably since the age of two or three. Um, still do. Uh, uh, many decades older than that age now. And, um, <laughs> this is the CEO of Health Designs, by the way. This is so, this is a funny story. So one of my – so I had always had this affinity and researched and, and just poured over every reptile book and every chance I would get to, you know, be out and about in the country catching snakes and lizards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which is harder, by the way, in New York than it is in Florida. It's, Here I, you can't avoid them, right? In New York, you really have to go out and hunt. So say where do you find, find them. them? Yeah, but yeah. they're there. So in Boston, that publication that I had there, one of my advertisers was this uh, um, pet store on Newbury Street in the Back Bay, and they had a unbelievable reptile collection there in their store. And through – that advertising client, I became acquainted with their, uh, really their supplier, uh, who is probably the largest captive breeding reptile uh, facility I, in, in the country. Um, and it, the name of that, is, it's, a, it's a famous business called NERD, New England Reptile Distributors. And so I started- Great wordplay. It's fantastic. Great wordplay. And the owner of that business is highly regarded as one of the top herpetologists in the field. Reptotologist? Is that what you said? Herpetologist. Herpetologist. Herpetology is the study of reptiles and amphibians. Okay. And 
So through that acquaintance, while I was still in Boston doing the publishing gig, I was sort of spending my weekends now at this reptile breeding facility <laughs> and learning and working there. And because of my sort of entrepreneurial slant, if you will, I was very curious about the business and started to learn sort of the ins and outs of the wholesale side and what that all was. And that then led to these other relationships I developed in Florida, which in that period of time and still has always been a hotbed, if you will, for the reptile industry. That's how that all came Makes to sense. The, by the way, this is what the health just happened. I have to throw that out there. We're getting to the healthcare stuff, but I, <laughs> this happens every guest. We go off topic. We start talking about crazy stuff like reptiles. That's an, that's an hour episode, I think. Next time. I, I really do. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask all these questions. Okay. So South Florida, and then pivot into executive coaching because you, yeah, you've so, got a long uh, so, history. So I'll get you there. So uh, having that relatively short period of time, in the pet industry and specifically in retail, uh, I learned at a, a fairly early age what I never wanted to do again. What and was that, that? Be at the mercy of the general public and retail's uh, um, very much that in 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 my mind. And S say that one more time. Something you never wanted to do. You knew it early on. Be at the general mercy of the public in a retail uh, store operation. Because I love that. You're, you're, you're the whipping post for every Tom, Dick, and Harry that decides they want you to be. And the other thing that is somewhat antithetical to the entrepreneurial spirit is that in retail, you spend all your money up front to look great without any market validation and then hope for the best. Where so many other industries and businesses, you can start up, bootstrap, and build into that, mm. right? So that was a, a capital intensive and just not great business. What, what about product too, right? So s supply and demand, you you buy 15 reptiles and you hope they sell? Well, uh, I'll tell you, it's a great question and it's worse than that. Suddenly you're in retail and your inventory needs to be fed, cleaned oh, up yeah. after, get sick Jeez. and can die. <laughs> this is a whole episode. Right, it is. Yeah, there's a whole different uh, uh, approach there. So yeah, what you're referring to is trend, right? Yeah. So you have to anticipate consumer trend, but then again, you've got this living, breathing lizard? inventory. Is it an iguana? Is it a snake? How long? Okay. Yeah. We got to pivot here quick because I'm watching. The, I mean, not, not got it. We can do this. We can do this for a while. So I'll get you really quick up through the next. Yo, take your time. Fifteen take years your after time. that. So knowing what I didn't want, and I wanted to have a lot more autonomy and discretion in the people I interacted with. I set up some criteria about what my next career would look like. And I wanted to have, some of that had to do with earnings opportunity and potential. Some of that had to do with being surrounded by dynamic people. Some of that had to do with having a high level of discretion of the people I worked with, right? Not everyone that walked in the front door could be uh, a customer or client. Mm -hmm. And using that criteria and looking at the options available to me, I wound up in financial services. I became a financial advisor which what at the time was Payne Weber, uh, which was eventually- What year was this? 1998. Okay. Payne Weber was acquired by UBS, which is a big Swiss investment firm. Uh, um, and Payne Weber became no longer. I excelled pretty quickly uh, as a new financial advisor in an industry that historically had 90% attrition in the I first was two say, years. It's, it's still the same, I would it guess. It is. Yeah. They've never figured out how to systematically uh, uh, develop 
financial advisors to be successful. It's been this very elusive approach. So you, you so, hire 10, only two make it. If yeah. those two make it. Yeah. That's and, the financial And, and, and after yep. probably three years, it's probably only one out of 10. Hmm. So with that said, I excelled very quickly and the firm came to me and said, hey, we'd like to hire you a coach. I said, what do you mean you want to hire me a coach? What, <laughs> am, I, what am I doing wrong? I, I said, help. no, no, it's not what you're doing wrong. It's what you're doing right. This is a resource we usually only avail to more seasoned talent. We'd like to see what would happen to a rookie who's already accelerating if we uh, uh, gave them additional resources like coaching. Through that process, I became acquainted with executive coaching and I fell in love with it. So while I was building my financial practice, I was also, I became a speaker and coach internally at Payne Weber and then UBS, uh, um, developing other new Muscles. financial advisors. Yeah. So when, when you're, you're coaching executives, are these new hires? Are these the bosses of these new hires? So then yeah. it was mostly peers. So it was other new hires or junior hires. And again, it was this training ground for me because it wasn't something I was compensated for. It was just something I had this deep passion for to be able to help others find their path and accelerate their point A to point B wherever they decided that should be. It, it, is part and of that making more money? I, like, could I talk about this all the time. If, if financial advisor, what, what's that path? What direction? Where's the joy? But some of it is financially motivated, yes or no? Or do you not say yes or no? Like, So I think that um, it's not such a fun job that people would do it if you weren't compensated for it. That's a, that's a grind. Right? It's, a grind. It, it's hard work, but it is very financially rewarding. And that I think that's what uh, draws a lot of people to it. I don't know that that's what keeps people in it. So for me, as my career progressed there... Uh, it was financially rewarding, but through a series of other events in my life that included uh, my father's untimely death, mm. and in a moment of reflection, actually on an airplane flying back to New York because my father had died that day, uh, I am not one to journal, but I started to journal and write things. And it occurred to me in that moment on that plane flight that really what I wanted to do was help other people develop. <sighs> And I turned to my two partners. We had a big financial practice and said, love you guys. Have at it. I'm out. And this is you saying that yeah, to your partners? To my, to my two former partners. And what year was that? That was in 2005. Look, I, I, I get, I, I'm an emotional human at heart. And I've also had a difficult few days, which we talked about prior to recording, where you just, you said, I'm out, Right in that year, and then you started your own practice. Yeah, so it took a few months to unwind and sort of uh, uh, extricate myself from, from the financial practice, and I started my executive coaching practice. And I spent 13 years or so coaching individuals, teams, and organizations, and in that developed this niche of I never – focused or was successful at taking underperformers and get, getting them to average. It was always taking overperformers and pushing them to the next level, Excellent. whatever that is. Yep. Oh, and I'll great. tell you the difference in those two, the biggest one that uh, uh, rings true for me. Underperformance to average can often be the result of a skill gap, right? Yeah. People don't have the actual skills and training they need to succeed in the role. 
And you can get that in a whole lot of places. But when you take incredibly high performers already and want to get them to the next level, that's all behavior. And it takes a much different approach to help people that are already successful connect to the behaviors and activities that will support them to get to the next level. And that's where I excelled. I don't think we're going to talk about healthcare today. We are. We're there. I know, we're, we're there. I'm like but, but one minute. I don't want to because I like I, I am obsessed <laughs> with this stuff. So so Topher and I have known each other. I don't know how long, and it was through through a gym, which will, will come up at some point after the break. I have a little thing we do called healthy or not healthy. We'll get to that. But I am obsessed with that world, right? And I, I would consider myself an average or below average performer, like uh, my worst critic. But I love what brings me joy is taking people with whatever company I'm with or outside of it. And how do you, how do I improve them? How do mm-hmm. I make them go? For, and I, but I get it what you're saying. If you're, if you're below average to average and like, again, what's the, me, what's the metric? What are you measuring? It's typically a skill gap, but you said it. We, how do you go from good or really good to excellent? And that's, that's hard. And you did that for a long time. What's also funny is whether it's uh, in business or in sports or anything else, there's this just historical perspective that you take your underperformers and focus your energy and time there. (laughs) And the reality is no matter how much you increase or improve that performance, it will never come close to taking your top performers and getting them to even experience incremental gains. It so far eclipses what the underperformers could ever do. Okay. I'm already going so many directions. But I'm going to bring you back in because – after doing that for 13 years, and I had some success there, uh, I was good at it. It's a natural extension of who I am. But I had done it for a long time. And mm. as I said to a friend of mine, I said, it's as if I climbed to the top of the mountain and there's this great view, but the view's not changing. Because coaching is a very difficult business to scale. Because the minute you start trying to scale it, you have all sorts of reputation, risk, and maintaining quality standards, and people want you. And there's only so much you to go around. So I said, well, what if I were to start trying to identify companies with similar characteristics, have had a history of success, an intact leadership team, not a broken that needs to be fixed, but rather just something that hasn't yet reached its potential that I could potentially acquire Mm -hmm. and do what I do for that organization and be an operator in it rather than just an outside third party. That's how I came to sit with you Ding. today. Okay. So, by the way, we're talking about a whole other episode on that stuff. Leadership development, improving teams. But today, we're going to we're going to put an emphasis on health designs. So, what year was that where you you acquired Health Designs which had been around for how long? This is not a, a small name company, by the way. Anyone yeah. in Jacksonville probably knows this if you're in healthcare. Health Designs was founded in 1995. Okay. So we're approaching three decades. So, so seen a couple things, right? Maybe a, <laughs> l- a, a lot little of bit, things. A little bit. Seen a lot of things, pioneered a lot of things. Uh, and to your point, the company has a history and reputation of success. So, so you come in and did, did you find health designs? Did health designs find you? Yeah, a little bit of both. So I was looking uh, in geographies around Northeast Florida because um, myself and my family love it here and didn't want to relocate. Love it. So I was industry agnostic and geographically specific, 
when I see industry agnostic, I, term I looked at I all it. of these different industries that, again, had characteristics. Now, I joke now that I didn't know I was looking for a wellness company. Clearly, I was looking for a wellness company. Yep. And it's serendipitous that I uh, was able to find, funny side note, I was meeting with a local investment bank and was actually in discussions with them about a mobile veterinary clinic. And they said, wellness there's space. this other business called Health Designs that we think you should take a look at. And I gave it a cursory <laughs> glance, did not understand it, sort of blew it off. Health Designs. Health Designs. Oh, yeah, we're going to hit this hard and in that cast. My, like, and my same friend, uh, who is an investment banker and helped me through the process, said, Zofer, you really have to go back and look at that and understand that a little bit differently. Uh, and in doing so, I spent some time with the founder of Health Designs. Her name is? Her name is Ann Sabag. We love free shout outs. And What's the name of the company again? Health Designs. Oh, Health Designs. Thank health Designs. I'm kidding. And uh, uh, Ann <laughs> did a fantastic job. She's an incredible friend, uh, partner, and mentor to me. And um, in a really interesting turn of events, her transition after uh, selling me the company, she stayed on with us in a very full time capacity for over two years. Uh, and we worked incredibly well together. And that's unusual. It's in rare. Any sort of it's rare. Uh, leadership yep. and ownership change. And again, she still is a, a, a very valuable component of health designs, even though she's not there uh, uh, on any day to day basis. Okay. So we have wow. Love the journey. How we got to health designs. We're coming up on the, the break here in radio land. It'll be, I don't even know what a commercial break. It won't last. This is, this is not live. We pre-record. I make jokes about it. Like, this is live. No, it's not. Topher, man, I, I like learning this stuff. This is a great story. We could have a whole other episode on the leadership stuff, but health designs, second half. We'll do a little bit of fun stuff coming out of the break. Um, but dive into health designs, what you do, right? What the company does, which I'm aware of, similar space. We work in employee benefits, a lot of health and wellness stuff. Our target market is similar other than maybe size of groups, but I'm blown away already. I knew this would happen. This is, look, I'm selfish. Um, you know what? We have two minutes left. I'm going to, I'm going to get to the, to the silly stuff here. I call it before we come out of the break. We put, have you heard of my segment, healthy or not healthy? I have not. Okay, so me. so every every episode I do something called healthy or not healthy. I'm going to ask you a question. You say healthy or not healthy, and why you think that? Um, healthy or not healthy? Eating meat. Not healthy. Why? Because the reality is, <laughs> from all I'm, the reading go, and research I that I do, there is only one medically proven, scientifically backed way to prevent and reverse heart disease, which is the number one killer in our country through the American diet, frankly. And that is a plant-based uh, What's the book? We've talked about this. I knew I knew. I was going to So the one that purpose. really uh, reframed my thinking and caused me to go plant-based was How Not to Die. Okay. How Not to Die a book. That's a good way to end. Real quick, um, healthy or not healthy, WebMD, the website. Like most things on the internet, <laughs> trust but verify. Trust but verify. All right, that's the first half of uh, what the hell just happened. We have Topher Margolin, not Marjolin, which is what I always thought it was. Thank you. Uh, Topher, CEO of Health Designs. Um, 
Coming in the second half, that, my friends, is what the health just happened. Welcome back to the second half of What the Health Just Happened. This is your host, uh, at least today, Hot Sauce Eric Ross, because our guest, uh, Topher Margolin, you can't see his face. What's great about radio is you just can't see his face. He gave me the nod. I said it right. And, and I have a face for radio. Yes, you can I've been told that there you go, on more than one occasion. This is what's great about radio. No one can see your face, <laughs> right? Now we, There we go. CEO of Health Designs. If you missed the first half, um, it'll be published on a couple of places you can listen to it. But it was an incredible story, his journey from New York to Boston to South Florida. We talked about reptiles. That was interesting, by the way. Unexpected. He a, what was the name of the, the reptile company? World Wild Reptiles. World Wild Reptiles. I love Love it. Executive coaching um, started the the journey here to health designs, which the second half we're going to really put an emphasis on because it is what the health just happened, right? Um, but but Topher, welcome to the second half. Thank you. Did you survive the first half? Indeed, you did. Okay. He's got Enjoyed giant it. sweaty pit stains. He's so nervous. I'm kidding, by the way. He's this, this is an executive coach, and I'm just some clown radio host here. So, <laughs> not even a radio host. Okay, health designs. We're yeah. going to get there. But first, we did a little bit of healthy or not healthy on the back end. Healthy or not healthy? CrossFit. Ooh. That's the tie that binds us, my friend. It is. So I'd say it's very healthy. Yeah, healthy. I I'm all in for healthy. I'm I not, agree. I agree. I really am. Can you find unhealthy things? Can you hurt yourself? Can you can you do stuff? Can you do something? Yes, of course. But I, I dislocated overall, my knee skiing two weeks ago. Yeah. I, I mean, I can hurt myself in all sorts of ways, including CrossFit. I tweaked, but not limited to it. <laughs> I tweaked my hamstring taking my four-year-old out of the car the other day. Yeah. So, okay. Healthy or not healthy? Men crying. Totally healthy. Jay? I cried the other day. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. We got three three healthies. Okay. So executive coach, last one. Healthy or not healthy? Do you use strength finders? I do. I'm a fan of strength finders. We talked about this the first half. So healthy or not healthy? Doubling down on weaknesses. Totally unhealthy. Agreed. So so you see a again, a lot of things. How about doubling down on strengths? Totally healthy. Can I talk about that for a second? Yeah, let's go. Look, the, you can the, talk the, as much the, you want. The reality, year. and this is certainly supported by uh, uh, the Gallup uh, in, uh, uh, company's Gallup. work in StrengthsFinder, but from a coaching perspective, one what I love about StrengthsFinder, it's approachable and easy. You don't need somebody to help you interpret the results, mm -hmm. right? It's cheap. It's quick. You get your results. You can read it, and you go, yes, that's me. Uh, and it gives you some new language in which to describe your strengths rather than your skills. And there's that's a, that's a different topic. Here's the problem. When people say, oh yeah, whether it's yourself, your business, your relationships, whatever, let's find the weaknesses and focus on them. Mm -mm. You wind up focusing on something that ultimately 
is not what you've relied on historically to produce results. It's going to sort of play this bad mind game of having you focus on something you're not that good at. And the reality is you have limited upside potential with any weakness you have, I would argue, that if you were to bolster it, it's going to be meaningful in the grand scheme of things compared to if you spent more time in your zone working on your strengths and leveraging those talents. Wholeheartedly agree with that. And we're going to, here we go again. We're going to pivot to health designs. <laughs> we talk about back. this stuff all day. <laughs> I, I, I've always believed that thought that could you improve your weaknesses? Yes, of course, of course you can. But to me, it's like double down on your strengths. This is from a work capacity, right? If you're, I have terrible handwriting, terrible have since I was a child. <laughs> Let's see if you can read this. And okay. is it a weakness? Maybe. Is it something I would focus on? Well, again, I'd be focused on something that's draining of my energy, yeah, yeah. of little benefit for me to improve. But doing what I do from a leadership, coaching, or wellness perspective, history would suggest I can make great impact. Elsewhere. Move real needles. And the quality of my handwriting <laughs> will not increase those benefits out there, no matter what. But not to mention you, you type anyways now. Like who, who writes that often? I do, but yeah. Okay. I tell every guest we're going to go off topic. We do it pretty quickly often here. Let's, let's dive into health designs, right? So my company, not 212 Benefits, we work in the employee benefit space. My background is as a firefighter, uh, medic, nurse, I call myself an entrepreneur. Somehow I stumbled into this employee benefit space yeah. the last couple of years with 212 Benefits. I love it, right? It, it's it's a unique world. It's complicated, expensive. Um, your, your, your target audience, depending on the, the size of client you work with, is different, whether it's a 500-employee company or a 50-employee company. What I found is that there's a ton of overlap in the health and wellness space, right? Um, wellness programs, there's all these bells and whistles that I, but that I think matter. How do you save money long-term on healthcare costs? I'll make a point is, is you, you avoid it altogether. The best way to save money on healthcare is by avoiding it altogether, staying healthy. And again, not needing medications anyways, done rambling on that. So health designs, tell us about the company, right? What it is, the bulk of what you do. And then there's some, some specific questions to dive more into that. But what is health designs and what do you do? Yeah, happy to. Yeah. So health design's mission is to change lives and transform companies into healthier, happier workplaces. We are a workplace wellness company that provides – we have a whole suite of services. And to your point, I think at its core, corporate wellness, workplace well-being started from purely a – risk mitigation and cost savings approach. And it's evolved from there. I know we're going to talk about that, but I agree with what you said. Look, the reality is cost follows risk. If we can figure out how to reduce risks, we're going to reduce cost. And so at Health Designs, we are fundamentally built on a coaching model that says we are going to be able to help more people if we can have meaningful conversations with them to assess where they are, where they want to be, and what they need to get from point A to point B. Okay, so so the health assessments. What I have an example in mind, right? Or, or like explain 
your company meets company X in any market, by the way, you're across the U.S., health we designs, partnered with some large insurance carriers, some private pay companies, self-insured stuff, which is terms, they maybe matter or don't, but like who's your clientele and who are you working with? Yeah, we work across all industries and regions and uh, really our core clients are mid-sized employers, 500 to about 3,500 headcount in most of those. Most are headquartered in the Southeast, but have locations across the U.S. We also have a brick and mortar office in the Pacific Northwest, and that's a couple of years old now. So we're, we're getting a foothold there, but we tend to have those two large markets of the Pacific, greater Northwest and the Southeast and then get pulled into the middle because those clients have multiple locations. So Southeast, brick and mortar, Ponte Vedra, right? Yeah. Our headquarters is here in Ponte Vedra. And then Pacific Northwest is Spokane, Washington. Spokane, Washington. Spokane, we have okay. an office out there. I didn't know that. And, and then you're, what's hysterical, right? So the space that our company plays in mid-market for us is like 150 to 500. Yep. Your mid-market for you is 500 to 3,500, right? Yep. So what's large? Like a large company is 35 plus? Yeah. And, and I, would, I would argue that large employee groups really are the ones that are tagged 10,000 or more. Which is, again, mind-boggling. There's some great stats out there if you haven't looked at this. Like 98% of businesses have 100 employees or less. Yep. But that 2%, it's the same with the you know, wealth difference in the United States. The top 2% control 90%. Anyways, okay. So health designs, when you get a company, an organization – you're going in – I'm really dumbing this down for simple folk like myself. You're going in to evaluate where they're at, some baseline information to then make them happier – I'm sorry, healthier and happier for a variety of reasons. Risk mitigation, a.k.a. saving money. But the other reason is to make that individual employee, all 500 of them, healthier. Yeah, so I think that's uh, well said. <clears throat> So the, it's almost like in every engagement, we have two clients, right? One of the clients is every individual participant, mm -hmm. and the other is the organization as a whole. And the motivation for those two different clients to be participating in this are different, right? And um, so we approach that experience for each one differently. And to your point, so when we engage with the company, first, what we really want to do is understand at a fundamental level, what are the needs and objectives of that organization? From a, from a health and wellness standpoint, right? Maybe. It may be okay. from an overall cultural standpoint because the reality is, and this is where this shift is starting to take place oh, from the historical should have started here. <laughs> uh, uh, place where it was really just about reducing claims exposure to now businesses having an elevated awareness of the fact that the reality is you can't meet your business objectives if your people are not well. And well is a big term. People need to be physically well, but also emotionally well, mentally well, socially well, financially Financial. well. Oh, thank well, you. Right? Say them all. Say it again. Emotionally, physically, mentally. What else was it? Socially. Socially financially. and financially. Yeah. That matters. Absolutely. Okay. Because here's the thing. And we know this as human beings. Each one of us here in this studio, the three of us, right? have experienced different periods of life where one of those elements, we weren't entirely well. It is consuming, and it is where your thought and your energy is going to go. 
Jay, you been there? Jay's nodding over here. Oh, I want I've you to chime there. in. I've been there numerous times. So yeah. one affects the other five, mm -hmm. or two affect the other three. Yeah. Okay. And you can't be available if you're harried by those kinds of things, if that's the background noise in your head, right? If you're harried by financial things, if you're physically unwell, if you're in pain, if you're hurting. So. Okay. There's a shift taking place, a very welcome one in my mind. When but no longer is it just, this. oh, we need to keep our insurance costs down and reduce our risk to it. Expose that, but rather it's. I'm going to hey, call a timeout real quick on that. Go ahead. J just to chime in. So that that's our world, right? W which we, two twelve. Everybody wants inexpensive insurance and the best health coverage possible, which matters that will never change, and and the right people will fight for that always. And this is, I think, one of the main reasons. There's all these other factors that contribute to that cost as a business owner, right? So your company, you offer your your company employees, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't you look at it every year. Why is it going up? How can we control this? And it's all the other stuff I think that health designs helps contribute to that saves on those costs. That's just a cost metric. Yeah. And again, cost follows risk, right? So reduce risk. But the, uh, I'm the, write, the I'm writing other, these lines down, by the way, cost follows risk. The other benefits really are absenteeism, which is an enormous expense to business across this country presenteeism. That was a new word for me, by the way, when I entered this industry. Presenteeism. Presenteeism. Yep. You're there, but you're not really there, yeah. right? You know, it sucks Quiet when somebody quitting. quits and leaves, yeah. but it's worse when they quit and stay, Yeah. right? That's yep. presenteeism. That's a huge term now, too, is quiet quitting. Quiet quitting, yep. for sure. And those both relate to employee engagement, right? Engaged employees, engaged teams can accomplish anything. Agreed. No matter in any situation, both economically, scarcity to resources, et cetera. A disengaged team, given all of the resources and runway available, can't get out of their own way, right? That's just, it's the truth. Self-inflicted wounds, yep. yeah. And so this is a real, and I think one of the things that happened during the pandemic that makes this an even more pointed conversation is the cost of turnover is oh. so immense that if we can keep our people well and engaged and to make any incremental gain at reducing turnover, that has dramatic savings and business performance ramifications. I was concerned about you coming on because there's so many things we talk about. Because we wouldn't side. have anything to talk about? No, no, not that oh. at all. Are you kidding me? I knew th this is what I was concerned about. So I wouldn't get to, I want to talk about health designs, health designs, but you, you keep going on topics that we've talked about a bunch. Let's say you have a insert salary, 50K, 100K, pick a number. Give me a salary number for an employee. Like a good employee cost company X $75,000. $75,000 a year. This employee is wonderful, they're great. Um, they're smart. They have a bright future, but they're, they're at that point that maybe they're worth 85 K 95 K or hundred K, right? These, these are numbers here. This is, I think related to health as a business owner leader, but instead of investing in that person with programs that health design offers or financial well-being or, or development, they go away. And then the cost to replace that employee is closer to 150 or 200 K. Does that make sense? 100%. So you have a 75K employee. And I'm not, I, look, look at me. I, 
how do you reinvest in your people, get them healthier, whatever it is, all of it, the, the stuff that matters, I think, for businesses that care about their employees. But the cost of losing a 75K salaried person, I hate this, I'm using the quotation mark, it's going to cost you close to 200K to replace them and keep them versus maybe giving that person, I don't know, more PTO, contributing more to the 401K. You get what I'm saying. Yeah, it's about meeting your employees where they are <clears throat> and making sure that you are addressing those needs. And that's what we do, right? From a workplace well-being Let's standpoint, get back to there. you know, there are a lot of different services, but really they're all focused on figuring out the needs and interests of the organization and the participants and then providing resources to get there. So I don't mean to sound cryptic when I say that, but for instance, you know, Biometric screenings are important components that creates a benchmark and a reference point to understand uh, uh, what your numbers are. But the reality is, in and of itself, biometric screening data is a little bit like a, a latitude and longitude position. Real quick, it, yeah. define biometric I, I know what that means, but anyone Sorry. who hears this, what is biometric screening? So biometric screening, screening is to uh, um, read and know the numbers of your some of your basic... Uh, um, markers like your weight, your height, your blood pressure, your blood glucose, and your cholesterol. Is BMI one of them? So BMI... Height and weight is yep. BMI. Okay. And then you've got blood pressure. Cholesterol. Cholesterol and blood, blood glucose. Pressure. So that's... By, by, when you do these tests, which is part of what you do when you come to a company, yeah. that's where you start. Now, sorry, back to what that's you're saying, why start. you start there. But a lot of people finish there, too. But... Back to this analogy of that's like a latitude and longitude position. It can locate you on a map, but it does nothing to orient you with your geography. But what we do is we embed coaching at time of biometric screening to say to a participant, what's important to you about your health and wellness? And to start this conversation, and we're going to look at those numbers, but you're not your numbers, right? <laughs> yes. And yeah. it, well, we want this reference point. We need to know what you ultimately want to do in your life regarding health and wellness. And by doing that, we do begin to orient someone in their space. Then it's the other services throughout the year, ongoing coaching, both in-person <coughs> and virtual, content delivery, you know, technology solutions, seminars, webinars, workshops, et cetera, that then can help people be supported on that path to their own uh, health and wellness individualized, right? So if you company, I love doing this, by the way, using Cox Media as an example, who I've, other than filming here, no affiliation with whatsoever. So individually, you're providing those services, but also as an organization. Yeah. So to the organization, that experience is different, right? Because the organization's What's uh, the objectives, well, they are going to look at ROI, but more importantly, we hope to direct their attention to VOI, which is the value of the investment and takes in That's some of those the, term more the, the, the qualitative points like engagement, retention, et cetera. Uh, and different companies measure their employee engagement and satisfaction in different ways. But what we do is we take all of that data from the biometric screenings, from health risk assessments, et cetera. We aggregate that and provide reporting and analytics to the company that give them really a deep lens into the overall wellness or lack thereof of their populations. Can I call you a nerd? Oh, absolutely. Okay, in a good way. Also, what was that What was that reptile term you said earlier in the first half? 
herpetologist? No, the NERD, the acronym. Oh, NERD, New England Reptile Distributors. Okay, that's so so off topic. We got uh, this always happens. Time flies. We got about five minutes left. It's fine. We're gonna you're gonna come back, right? I have to ask. I would this love now. to. You're absolutely coming back. I always end with two questions. We're not going there yet because I want to dive more into health design. So let's use this company. We're sitting in a studio that Jay, how many employees are with Cox Media Total nationwide? Nationwide? Yeah. I have no, I can't even answer 5,000? Sure, we'll go with that. But I'm saying five or 10,000, right? The Jacksonville market is how many employees are in this building? In this building? Yeah. Um, I would say probably about 150, 200. Right, so, so a company, this is an example to, to kind of plug health designs. You have a massive company. Cox Media is huge, but then you have a local shop. What makes more sense for health designs? Do you get into the national organization and do it collectively, or do you start boots on the ground here in Jacksonville, proof, proof, of, proof of model, say, like, this works, here's why, here's how we helped? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, look, the reality is you're in the benefit space, right? Typically, a company wants to provide like and equal benefits across their entire groups. You do find uh, situations sometimes where you'd like to pilot a program, again, sort of like in that proof of concept you're talking about. Uh, but more likely, we want to address the whole population. And we do that boots on the ground at all those different locations. You, I, I should have mentioned that. You guys, boots on the ground, wherever it is, you, you can put boots on the ground where, wherever it is. Yeah, in the, in the past several years, you know, we've operated in 46 states, and it's coincidental that we missed those four. We're looking for Alaska <laughs> and Hawaii opportunities. Yeah, don't, don't do it. It happens every single time. Time flies by. We're running out. Um, I want to talk about health designs more, but I, I want to ask you these two questions. Let's and go. Normally, it's more time. Okay. If you look out one, three, five, ten years, what is a healthy change that you would like to see in your industry specifically, the health and well-being, healthcare in general? Look, our healthcare system is largely reactive and it takes a medical crisis to access resources needed to be healthy, which is an oxymoron, right? Because it's not a healthcare system. It's a sick care system. Oh, and hit that today. And what would I like to see? I'd like to see a much greater emphasis on prevention. Mm. I, 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 I heard uh, a doctor say, and, and I don't want to, uh, um, I, I want to give proper uh, um Kudos to the author. He said, look, the best way to deal with a heart attack is to never have one, mm -hmm. right? But we're not geared for that. So that's my okay. that's my wish. Last one, you got about 30 to 45 seconds. You see Topher one, three, five, 20 years ago. What is some healthy advice you would give yourself? Trust your gut always in every aspect of life. Every one of us can tell a story about when we overrode our gut and it didn't go well. And it was Very wrong. rarely... Can we say, yeah, I went with my gut and it was wrong? Almost never happens. <sighs> Topher, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Um, Thanks for having me. My goodness, we were going to talk about health designs. We did. CEO bit. of Health Designs. Topher here is it the business side, the leadership side. My goodness. You, have you written a book yet? I did write a book. He did. That's next episode. Next Topher, time. Uh, my goodness. Thanks again. CEO of Health Designs. That, my friends, is what the health just happened.
hustling.